to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 42, Mormon 1-6 through I would that I could persuade all to repent. Horvath is a metallurgical engineer retired from the automotive world. He used to work at General Motors and his career centered on the heat treatment of steel for gears, shafts, bearings, tools, and other components, including problem solving for industrial processes. He received a BS degree in metallurgy and material sciences from Carnegie Mellon University. In his cheerful way, Paul describes that he has two wives. One wife is deceased and with his other wife they have six children and 14 grandchildren. His avocation is studying and living the gospel with the intent to know Jesus Christ. He and Rod Melder met in 2011 when Rod's tour bus stopped overnight in the Indianapolis area and Paul attended a presentation. The Heartland model has sufficient detail to resonate as true with Paul. A key issue is that metalworking has not been found before 6 to 800 AD in Mesoamerica. The Book of Mormon informs that Nephi was making metal swords approximately 590 BC, thousand years earlier. Ancient design iron smelting furnaces from Nephite time frames have been found buried in Ohio with iron still in the molds. Solving engineering problems requires that all the facts agree to explain the cause of a problem. Otherwise, the true cause is still unexplained. By this logic, Mesoamerica could not be where the Book of Mormon events took place because of the lack of metalworking in the Nephite time frame. Enjoy our cheerful friend Paul Horvath. Welcome back, everybody. This is Rod Meldrum. I'm grateful to have you here and join us with us today on this uh, Come Follow Me supplemental uh, information and podcast here. Uh, today we have with us, uh, we have Paul Horvath, my dear friend from in, from Indiana. He is he is a metallurgist that worked for, uh, we're going to have him actually introduce himself a little bit more, but uh, worked for General Motors. And today we're going to be talking about uh, a subject that has been a major issue in the, in the, uh, in the evidences of the Book of Mormon arena. When you go into Central and South America, they have almost a complete lack of any metalworking or metallurgy. And the Book of Mormon talks about metallurgy throughout the whole thing. So uh, I'm going to have to start off here. Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Paul Horvath, and I am from Indiana. I've spent my entire career working in the heat treatments field of, of metallurgy. Graduated from Carnegie Mellon University back in 1970. And my specialty in metallurgy is the heat treatment of steel. So I spent my career making uh, gears, shafts, bearings, transmissions for the automotive industry. Um, <laughs> I really love the Book of Mormon, and I, I love the fact that, that there's so much information in it about metalworking. I mean, Nephi started out making billows and, and making tools, so that's 600 B.C. So this is really old knowledge. Uh, it's been updated in, in modern times, but the fact that it exists is really powerful. Yeah. 
And that's and that's one of the things we're going to we we have. I, I, this is going to be an amazing. I, I'm, I'm so excited about this. I've wanted to do this for a long time with Paul, but we haven't been able to get him here. He happened to just uh, be coming here to Utah for some family things, and and uh, so we kind of absconded him. But uh, in fact, he's going to go. Uh, he's leaving here to go uh, meet with the uh, with the missionary. That tell us tell us really quickly what what that's about. Well, <laughs> I received the gospel in 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 1973 in so Akron, Ohio. Right? Hmm? You're a convert. I'm a convert. And yeah. uh, what? How old were you at the time? Well, 23 or 24. Nice. And I've spent the last 47 years uh, loving the Book of Mormon and the <laughs> things that the gospel has brought to me. It's been wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And uh, and so uh, my missionary was John Fowles, and he knocked on my door, and that's a whole nother story. But the gospel stuck, <laughs> and I believe it. I believe it. I've been convinced that the Book of Mormon has been true, and the gospel's true ever since. <laughs> you bet. You bet. Well, we're going to jump right in the middle of this because uh, we have so much stuff to cover here, folks. So uh, so so hang on, buckle up. We're ready for some uh, for a good a good time here. So we're going to start off here a little bit. Uh, I want to go to um, this this general question here. Uh, what evidence exists for the sourcing, smelting, and manufacturing of metals into tools, plates, and objects mentioned in the Book of Mormon? So we have a couple of scriptures here. We're not going to go through this too much, but basically we can see here in Jerem, they talk about gold and silver and iron and copper and brass and steel. Each one of those have different properties that we want to talk about um, as well. Here in Second Nephi, it talks about the same, same kinds of metals, iron, copper, brass, steel, gold, and silver. And then here in Mosiah, it talks about gold and silver, iron, brass, and ziff, and copper. So these are some of the, just some of the areas where the Book of Mormon talks about these different kinds of metals. Now, uh, just just as a very quick uh, overview, the Hopewell Mound Builder Civilization is the one that we think are pr- probably the Nephites. We we think that they are the Nephites. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the Hopewell Interaction Sphere. Essentially, uh, raw materials coming from uh, as far north as up in the Keweenaw Peninsula, up in uh, up in Michigan, basically, and southern Canada, all the way down to the Gulf Coast states of uh, Florida, Louisiana, and and, and uh, Georgia, and Alabama, and so forth. Over to the uh, the eastern part of the Apple and the Appalachian Mountains, and all the way out to the west, with uh, obsidian coming from uh, Yellowstone area um, mm-hmm. out here. So basically, this whole, whole general region is is considered to be the heartland of America, and you just happen to live right in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> well, I, I, one of the things I wanted to start off with though is that um, now um, all of this with uh, with the, the different kind of metals. Um, let's, let's kind of go through kind of a, a more of a macro idea. So when it comes down to metals, they, they, they come out of the ground in different ways. So, for example, gold comes out of the ground kind of like gold. It looks like gold. It's, mm-hmm. you, know, it, it, you can tell it's gold. Um, copper, on the other hand, which is a, another major uh, mineral that we have here, metal, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but copper comes out of the ground, and most people are used to copper looking something like on the order of this. Okay, so this is this is a piece of copper here. Let me hold it up right there so you can kind of see here. And uh, now this is native copper. Now, people who are from Utah know of this place called the Kennecott Copper Mine, and now it's called something else, but that's, people know it by that anyway. And that copper comes out of the ground. It basically is green. It's just like it's a green material that comes out of the ground, and then it has to be smelted. It's corroded. So, so when when copper corrodes, it yep. corrodes green, and uh, when it's heated hot, it 
it turns green, the flame is green. So there are, there are different properties to it. But most things are oxidized and they have to be smelted to be refined. And how, did that oxidation, how, how quick does that happen? Depends on the material. <laughs> so, so iron, how long? those of you who have cars know that without protection, the car <laughs> rusts out right quick. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's iron. But, that's right. but the uh, uh, copper is a slower, has a slower uh, oxidation rate, and uh, gold has none, and uh, silver will corrode. We know that because people polish their silverware. So, and that turns go. basically a, almost a black color. Yeah. Typically, the silver turns into black. Copper turns green. This is another. This, this is a piece of native copper. Now, when I say native copper, this is different than than copper like at the uh, at the Kennecott copper mine, which has to be mined out, broken down, and then heated up and melted, yeah. and then that then basically it's called smelted copper. Mm -hmm. This copper is a little bit different because up in the uh, there's a couple of places in the United States where copper can be actually hammered out of the ground and it comes out of the ground actually in big chunks of actual copper. This is an example of that. This is uh, this you can see this is the copper on this side. This side has been kind of ground down and polished, so you can see the copper portion of it here. So that's why you can see that this is this is copper, and and plus you, you know, obviously you can tell yeah by how it, heavy it is. It's almost like it's almost like copper just laying on the ground or in a mine it somewhere. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. In fact, uh, I, I, I have uh, photos of uh, of Wayne May and I standing on a piece of solid copper. It's twenty, I think it's two hundred and seventy tons or something like that. I mean, it's just it's a, about probably twenty feet long and eight or nine. 10 feet thick and about 15 feet wide and it's just a big huge piece of copper and it's just natural and the important part about that is that if we can pick it up on the ground as natural copper so could the nephites that's right. or anybody that lived here who found that's it that's right <laughs> that's right now let, let's just again just briefly let's talk about uh so you had gold and copper and then silver and, and, we, and we talked about that but some of these other ones like brass uh, well, brass and bronze, they're not. They, th those do not. They, they are an alloy of they're different an alloys. Copper okay. and tin, or copper and zinc. Yeah, and, then, and which one is those respectively? <laughs> I think bronze is copper and zinc, and, and copper and tin is brass. Oh, and oh. yeah, uh, actually, that's the other it's way. The other yeah, way around. So, yeah, so, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I always tried to connect it with the Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Z, the zinc, yeah, or Ziff in the Book of Mormon. Uh, yeah, 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 talk about that. Um, the, re the only reason I keep, keep track of that is because bronze is what they did back in the in the old world, yeah. Um, and that was their kind of uh, metal of choice, if you will. They had the Bronze Age back there, yeah, yeah. But the Book of Mormon never mentions bronze; it always says brass. And there's a, and there's a really important reason. We're, we'll well, I'll just go ahead and just tell you right now. Not you, because I know you already know this, <laughs> but, but but basically, the difference basically is is that that, that uh, copper and tin. Are alloyed together to make bronze, and okay. copper and zinc are alloyed together to make brass. There's no tin in the heartland of America, at least not any major deposits of tin. But there is major deposits of zinc. So it's interesting because it would have been natural if Joseph Smith was just making up the Book of Mormon story, for him to basically say that when the Book of Mormon that they had uh, they they had bronze. Mm -hmm. But yet, throughout the Book of Mormon, they say they had brass, and uh, and they, it turns out they couldn't have made bronze here in America because there's not enough tin to be able to alloy with it. But zinc is quite common, 
And so that's what that's why I think that this word zeph in the Book of Mormon is probably zinc. And those are the two metals that you would have to combine to make brass, which is the only metal mentioned as an alloy in the Book of Mormon. That's very good. Besides very good. besides iron. Yeah. Well, there's iron. <laughs> iron is a smelted material as well. So so um, anyway, so let's go, let's go back to our, our slides here for just a second here. Um, a lot of people don't know this, and, and I'm not going to go through the details. By the way, if you want to have um, uh, more information about all this, the, uh, the, the DVD set called uh, Book of Mormon Evidence Number 2, there's an entire presentation. It's called Book of Mormon Metallurgy, and a lot of this is actually going to be in there. But I wanted to share some, uh, some special things there, so I want to refer to that because that's where you're going to find the most information. We're just going to just quickly just blow through a few things here. But then I want to tell about an experience that we had together back at the Indiana State Museum. So we're going to get to that here in just a second. So let's go back to this. So uh, a lot of people don't realize that the Southern Appalachian Mountains have basically every metal that's mentioned in the Book of Mormon. Uh, of course, uh, if you've been watching us, these, these podcasts and you know about the geography aspect of it, that, they, that Southern Appalachian Mountains there is the area where we believe that was the land of Nephi. And it's the land of Nephi where they say that they had all these metals. <laughs> okay. And uh, so forth. So uh, they're talking about in the second Nephi. So this is called mining at Ducktown. Uh, this is talking about the mines produced copper, iron, sulfur, zinc, and small amounts of gold and silver. Um, there's not that many places in the world where all of those metals that are mentioned in the Book of Mormon happen in an area of about 15 miles. So uh, this is interesting that, uh, that this is actually what's going on. I don't have time to read this, but this is fabulous information from a book clear back in the 1880s. Uh, they talk about essentially here um, that they found uh, when the first settlers came into the areas. This is, this is really fascinating here. When the first settlers came into the area uh, around, this, uh, around Tennessee area, basically Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is where this Ducktown and uh, this, the first – actually, we're going to mention this, but it's the first gold uh, rush of the United States – wasn't folks in California. It was in – Tennessee. <laughs> okay. But uh, but interestingly enough, uh, they talk about uh, when they first went into the area, they, they found actual mine shafts going into some of these ore deposits. And these mine shafts, basically, they asked the Native Americans, so who built these mine shafts? And they said, we don't know. It was somebody before us. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. This is back in 1880s. Okay. So that kind of gives you an idea here. Um, and Chattanooga area also what, has Iron that? Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So there's Iron Mountain there, and it's, and they they uh, talk about this being the mound builders. I'm, if you want to us uh, to uh, stop right here, you just have to pause it. You want to read that, but we're going to go ahead and move through. This is the next one that you could read actually if you want to take the time to read that. But they're talking about uh, blocks of ore that were that were just left. They, the, the ancient people had cut out huge blocks of ore, and they were like they were in the process of mining. And all of a sudden, they just left it there. Um, just awesome stuff. Clear back again from the earliest. Um, this is in the heart of the Alleghenies in, on, uh, in 1883. Uh, the Book of Mormon talks about furnaces in 3rd Nephi, 4th Nephi, and Mormon. Uh, that They definitely had furnaces. In fact, a couple times they, they, were, they were big enough that they actually could throw people into them. Okay, so that's a pretty interesting aspect of it. Okay, um, then, this is talking about in 1874. In a complete history of Illinois, they talk about uh, fortifications with walls and so forth on Paint Creek. This is in Ohio, 
and they're talking about uh, furnaces and, uh, and rows of furnaces that were smith shops about which cinders were found several feet in depth. And we're going to talk about that here with Paul, the significance of these cinders that they're, that they're seeing here. Oh, yeah. They're the byproducts of the production. Or, or we call it today, we call it slag. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, more about the Book of Mormon furnaces. This is from the, uh, the prehistoric treasure. This is from National Public Radio. Micah Schweitzer and the prehistoric treasure in the fields of Indiana. And uh, this, is, this is where we're going to kind of get into our, our, our story here, Paul. Because <laughs> okay. going to be – but this is, this is pretty awesome. Let me, let me just kind of just give you a quick uh, little overview here. So there was this guy by the name of Charlie Laser. And uh, and he uh, he was given permission at Angel Mounds, or also what is known as the uh, the what the was man that called site. the Man Hopewell site. M A N N. Yeah. And he got permission from a landowner basically to go and to he could pick up artifacts on the ground. Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. No digging, no no digging allowed, but he could pick up these artifacts. And so he started walking the property and picking up artifacts. And he says, at first he started off with just Levi's on, <laughs> and then and he pretty soon he realized that he needed to have to go to bib overalls because he put so much of these artifacts and they're stone a lot of times in his pockets that his pants would fall off. So he's so he switched to these bib overalls. Most of the pictures you see of him has he has his bib overalls on, and over the course of about twenty years he picked up a lot of artifacts. Mm-hmm. Um, then we heard about this. And, uh, and 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 then he donated them all to the Indiana State Museum. Well, there's this national national uh, na- excuse me national public radio uh, thing. He says uh, there was one remarkable discovery, one that could rewrite the history books. Linderman, this is an archaeologist, says scientists are starting tests on what looks like evidence for lead smelting, a practice that until now was only was not was only seen in North America after the arrival of the French, a thousand years after the Hopewell tradition. Mm-hmm. Because metal smelting is an interesting aspect. It shows that people had, these were not just a bunch of hunter-gatherer people or burying nut hunters. These were uh, advanced people. So if you can't, th- th- I, want to, I want to have us kind of tell the story here of, uh, of why we ended up going to Indiana State Museum. So I, I, I called up Paul. I said, listen, you know, we want to find out more about this smelting and see what kind of evidence they have for this smelting because this is a big deal. If the Hopewell Mound Builder people, and this is, a, this is without question a Hopewell site, okay, they call, they call it the, the Man Hopewell site, and there's even a museum and so forth there. <laughs> if these people were smelting, we want to find out what it was. Well, now I got, I got to tell you just a little, a little, little something else, though, that um, – Wayne May had made an attempt to uh, to actually go and visit this site, and and when they found out that they were Mormons and looking for evidence for the Book of Mormon, it kind of shut it down pretty quickly. Well, so I knew that we needed to not bring this up, and I also knew it'd be maybe a big red flag if some guy from Utah is calling up and wanting to see this, the, you know, some of these artifacts. So that's when I got a hold of my friend Paul. And uh, I said, Paul, would you would you mind making an appointment for us? I'm going to be coming out there, and uh, let's go out and, and take a look. Yeah. So, tell us well, what happened. After our conversation, I called the uh, the uh, lady that was quoted in the article. Her name was Michelle Greenan, and she is the curator for uh, archaeology archaeology in the entire state of Indiana. Meaning she has a responsibility for stewardship over 11 state sites. 
And Michelle was a delightful lady. Um, mm-hmm. She accommodated us, and so there were four of us that went down to the museum to see it. Um, There's you and I and my wife, Tanya. Yeah, and my friend, uh, Jacob, <coughs> Jacob Dobson. He, yeah, he's an artist. He actually had some um, oh, Jacob, things Jacob, there in the museum, in, in the in the state museum. Yeah. yeah, Jacob. Jacob is a master sculptor, and he has sculpted the the uh, baptismal scene in the baptistry of the Indianapolis Temple. And what did he put in there? Oh, it's beautiful. I just it's that's not the subject. It wasn't metal. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was the four of us went. And Jacob was able to... to by, by the way, before we jump off of that, though, he, he did make it, and it looks, the Waters of Mormon is, is after the Waters of Mormon here in in, uh, in North America. It was, it was, that's right. He made it not that's look right. Central America. No, it's not Central America <laughs> at all. It's very much... Go ahead. In fact, I, I helped him and pointed out to... gave him some pictures from the um, Susquehanna River area where all this took place, and it's just wonderful what he did. <clears throat> so anyhow... Michelle agreed, and we went and saw uh, and saw this exhibit. And I want to tell you, it was drawers and drawers and drawers of material. Mm-hmm. Evidently, Mr. Lasser, Lassiter, yeah, Mr. Lasser, Lasseter had, Lasser, yeah, ha- had collected over forty-two thousand artifacts up off the ground. He didn't dig anywhere, <laughs> and and the museum, the, had, yeah. the museum had had on categorized and had in these drawers about 4,000 of them. And they were beautiful. So not even, like, not even 1%. Not even 1%. No, it was yeah. a very low number of things, just, but they were beautiful. Um, the museum said it was kind of funny because they said, uh, when, when Charlie Lacer called them up and said, I, I have some artifacts that I've gathered over the last 20 years and so forth uh, near the, uh, you know, the Man Hopewell site, and, and I want to donate them to the museum. They said, oh, okay, we'll just bring them on down. They weren't expecting him to show up with a moving truck. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so many. Yeah. And this is without even digging. This is how many artifacts there are. It's just astounding how many there are in in general. Anyway, go, go ahead. And and so, <laughs> so the story goes on that that um, we got to look at them and we opened the drawers and there were there were fired um, figurines. They had been they had been um, run through a kiln. What's the right word for that? Yeah, they'd been fired. A, a smelter, uh, not a smelter, but just a kiln. Yeah. They had become. They were clay, and they'd been. And Jacob looked at them and said, "These are beautiful," and and was talking about some of those things. Yeah. Um, they had amulets, which were, I don't know what they were made out of. It must have been wood or something, but they had the zigzag pattern on them, uh-huh. so it, it looked like it was an, an armband of some sort. They were yeah. just pristine, and um, so anyhow. We got down to the part at the end, and uh, for some reason, someone asked me, I think Michelle asked me, um, what I did for a living. I I didn't know, because we were just friends, and he never told me what he'd done for a living, and oh my gosh. And I said, "Oh, by the way, we, I, I told Paul when we went in. I said, you know, so Paul, so don't bring up the smelting thing until the end because that might get us kicked out. So, so let's just have her show us all this other stuff first. And if she doesn't bring it up during our during our while we're there, then at the end we'll bring it up. That way, if she kicks us out, we at least got the full show. Yeah, yeah, oh well, yeah. That's the way it went. And and so and so, so she brings she it up. asked what I did yeah. and I said well I'm a professional engineer and I I work I'm a metallurgist and I work for Allison Transmission and she said oh oh 
that, so then, that is interesting. <laughs> she she tapped her she tapped her cheek like this. She put her hand up and she kind of tapped her cheek like this, like she's processing. <laughs> I said, "Well, look at this, would you?" <laughs> and we went we went down. The first step well, was to to go down and and she opened this drawer, and they had some. I would have I would have called them earmuffs. Yeah. And uh, they were uh, um, based on other things I've seen later. They were ear protectors for battle. Yeah. And um, we'll show you something like that here in just a minute. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and so she said, these are iron, they're magnetic, they're iron, but we think they're meteoric iron. Which means I they said, came from meteorites. Yeah, meteorites coming down, because, of course, these people couldn't smelt anything. And so uh, I shouldn't – I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it quite that way. But they didn't have any knowledge that they had smelted things. Yes. So So I said, well, it's easy to tell. Because meteoric iron slows and cools at a completely different rate than anything that we can make on this planet. So if you if you take a, a a section of it and just look at the grain structure of the of the material, you'll tell whether it's meteoric or man-made. It could be like the Widmanstetten pattern that they well Widmanstetten patterns, yeah. but there's you yeah. know it's there there are other features as yes. well yep. in the in the microstructure. You can tell how things were made by the way a, a really good metallurgists can tell how it was made and how it was processed. I mean, the, the fellows that do that are really good. And so, Like you. Well, no, I'm, I'm a heat treater, but okay. I know what people can do. <laughs> and, and so, That's what she kind of wanted. She, asked, she said, how would you be able to tell these? Remember oh, yeah, that? she yeah. asked, and so I was explaining this to her. He's like telling her, oh, well, you go to this, com- this company and this guy here, and he knows how to do this. And yeah, yeah. It was, he knew all that. She was, was loving it. It was fun. And then she, she did this again. <laughs> what do you think this is? And she went down to this drawer, the one on the far end, and she opened it up, and she pulled out a piece of material which probably was as big as my hand. Why does, it was as long as my hand. It was cylindrical. It was straight. And it, it had a, I think it had a hole in it, like it was going to be a plumb bob or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I looked at it carefully. I hefted it, you know, and I'm fairly familiar with how these metals feel. And I said, well, for its size and whatnot, it's heavier than steel. Is there a chance this could be lead? Yeah, and she said, what, she said, what does that yes. feel like? And you immediately nailed it. <laughs> she said it was lead. And she said, yes, we've had it checked. It is lead. We've checked the density of it. And and then I said, it looks like there's some engravings on this. And that's when she took it back. <laughs> she said, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and put it away. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to see that. And, and you didn't see those. No. Yeah, okay. And then And then she went. And she pulled out a little bag. Well, we we're talking about. Oh yeah. About well, she well she asked the question because see in this NPR article it mentioned about this uh, the the possible evidence for lead smelting, and uh, and then she said, well, how would you? She asked you, how would you tell if a, a, an artifact here was actually just some kind of natural lead, or if it was smelted lead? And I'll never forget you answered, but you basically said, well. If it was smelted, there would be slag. And you asked, did you find any slag? And she started doing this again. <laughs> yes, she did. And then she walked all the way to the very end. Now, these, these rows, how long would you say those were? Probably 100 feet? I don't know, 50 feet? I don't know. I, it, it was quite a ways. It was a long ways. I mean, it was, it was a number of steps yeah. you know, down along these rows of, of drawers. And then they had like pallet racks up on top with all the boxes. <laughs> Just the boxes were numbered, but the artifacts in there hadn't been looked at yet. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. 
Um, and we get down to the very end, and she and she says, she says, "Come with me." So we go down there. She pulls out the drawer, and what does she pull out? Well, she pulled out what it was was a a, a baggie that had um, it had um, it was kind of like a slag. Um, I thought of it. I thought of it at first as like it was little round pellets, like it would be like it would be uh, shot or something like that. But it was coated in white or a creamish color. Well, I knew from other work that I'd done that that the cream color is the is the, um, the color, color of oxidized. lead after it's oxidized. So so, but it takes a long, long time. Okay. So some some Just of like the churches, civil, some civil of the war churches, bullets, civil turn, war bullets do that. Yeah, some some of them have turned white now. But yeah. they they've been able to identify the thickness of the layer with time because they. Some of the original churches, cathedrals built in Europe had lead, had lead uh, um, sheathing roofs. over the roof, yeah, the roofs. and you can measure the, you can measure the <laughs> thickness of the layer. So, so um, so you can kind of get an idea of how, about how old how old it, it was. Yeah. yeah, you get a sense of that. And uh, so that was our conversation. She told me though that about that that cylindrical piece. She said we don't have any idea how old it was because it was on top of the ground. It could have been dropped by a French trader. Yeah. And that was the end of that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then it went into this thing. So, well, if it was smelted, then there would be slag. And then she brought out two Other big material. bags, the big bags. Oh yeah, of slag. And she kind of was hesitant. She she wasn't going to tell us. And I don't, I don't think I, I don't think she would have shown us that if you hadn't been a metallurgist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. she wanted to know. Okay, so how would you test the slag? And you started talking about how you could test the slag and so forth. And by the way, so what we have here, there's one one for you and one for me here. Yeah. <laughs> but these these are are bits of slag. It's that very light, almost like pumice. Yeah. Uh, because, but this, this is the in the smelting process, you heat that metal up to where it's molten, and then the stuff kind of basically rises to the top because the heavier metal falls to the bottom. This, uh, all this, this crud basically, the the impurities come to rise to the top, and then it's kind of like almost a foam, and they yeah. and they scoop that foam stuff off of there, and it hardens up. And the cool thing about this is, folks, this doesn't just fall apart over time. It's this is oxidized. like a rock. Yes, <laughs> it's already <laughs> oxidized. So if there's smelting going on, they it, it, you can't hide it. I mean, it will it will be there. But you also, if there's a lack of smelting, if there's if there's if uh, like for example in Central America, where they ever found slag? Well, they haven't. There's no slag. There's no metal. At least not in the Book of Mormon time frames. They've never found anything like that. But yet, when the Vikings came here up in Nova Scotia and so forth, that's how we know the Vikings were here because they needed to make repairs apparently on their ships and so they built some smaller furnaces and they melted metal and they made slag in the process that was left behind yeah. after that. So that's how we know that the Vikings were here. Yeah. So so this is something that does not go away. Now I've I've never done any refining on lead. Mm-hmm. So I, I really don't know what their slags and their processes look like. Yeah. But this is this is this is very porous it's got copper. This is off of a copper pit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so 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 basically, this has got some really fabulous uh, information. So in the Book of Mormon, uh, and again, um, I wanted to uh, to, th- to point out this is on uh, in the annotated Book of Mormon. Here is a couple of pages that we that we talk about here. Uh, this is on page thirty eight, which is First Nephi chapter nineteen. It came to pass that the Lord commanded me, wherefore I did make plates of ore, 
uh, that I might engrave upon them the record of my people and, and so forth. So he's talking about that. Um, this is after they arrived at the promised land. Okay. Um, so they were making plates of ore. On page 39, it talks about uh, some of these different places like the Cooper's furnace and so forth that was uh, found that that was probably a, a later furnace, but this is back in the 1800s. And also just talks about these uh, some of the copper plates that we can find around the uh, around in the Hopa Mound Builder civilization. Um, if you turn back over then to page 65 in the Annotated Book of Mormon, it talks about this mining at Ducktown, Tennessee. A couple of the quotes that I just had are there in the Annotated Book of Mormon, so you can actually read some of those quotes there. But these we had to make those very abbreviated, so you, so uh, you know, so you can see a little bit more about it here. If you want to get the full information, then you have to go to the DVD. So, all right, let's go back to uh, just a couple of things here. On um, do we, anything else you want to talk about as far as the uh, our, our visit there? No, I I, I think that. Uh I was very grateful to Michelle for sharing that with us. I did go back to visit with her yes, later yeah, on. Yes, about that. That was um, interesting. I t- when we finished our time together that particular day, I said, if you would like some help, I can give you some guidance and direction about um, uh, how to do some other things. She was very interested in testing flora and fauna um, for lead, so her specialty was fauna, and, and uh, she had some bones, and she wanted to know how to treat them. And I said, well, I said, if you're looking for lead in those bones, then you probably ought to machine off the surface of the bones so that any lead that might have come through the soil and gotten into the bone, into the, after, on, on after the top of the bone, yeah. it would mislead the audience. But if it's actually in the bone, then it was consumed. Yeah. And that would be that would end the conversation and oh how did this get in there? Yeah, yeah. Uh and uh but at the end of that period of time I was interested in sharing with her the the Book of Mormon philosophy or the hope that these the information that the 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 people that did all this may well have been the Book of Mormon peoples. Yeah. The, the things that they were finding actually provides support for Yeah. The claims of the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And, and how did she take that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I pulled the Book of Mormon out of my knapsack, and I said, I think this is something. And and Miss Greenan went pale white. She just it, it almost it, – it was, it was really a reaction I did not expect at all, because we had talked about – what people do with new information. And she had said, well, we consider it and we look at it and all yeah. this kind of stuff. But when I pulled the Book of Mormon out and said, I think this might be part of the part of the conversation, she went, whoa. Well, and she was speechless. She said nothing. And I just looked at her and I said, oh, dear, this poor lady. I said, maybe I just put her, put this away. And she said, yes, you just better put that away. And, and she never contacted me again. <laughs> oh, man. But that's okay. I... I I, well, the thing the thing is, is that she actually told us that she had been to some extent actually attacked um, because when they came out with this idea oh, that they yeah. had that, that that these ancient people were actually smelting metals, there they came out of the woodwork after her and said, "No way! These people were just ignorant savages. We know that they were never into any kind of civilization and so forth." And basically, they started to attack her, which is part of the reason why she was so hesitant about even telling anybody about the fact that they had found actual evidence for sl- the yeah. slag 
and the actual lead artifacts themselves. By the way, a couple of those artifacts look a lot like this. Uh, oh, this one right here. I I, I want to I want to it say look like a plumb bob. Yes, it does. Look at this metal there. Yeah. Now this is this one is not metal. This is actually a stone one. But the but the ones we had that she put in your hand were lead. Yeah. I I really feel for Michelle and other folks, the archaeologists who have a culture that cannot accept obvious information. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong, and and I hope that they're able to correct it someday. Yeah, and so and in fact, right, while I have this particular one out here, let me just show you a couple of things. I don't know if you can see this here. Let me see if I can get that to you here. So basically, this one is uh, it has this is some of the copper from the Keweenaw Peninsula up in uh, Michigan, and and you you can't probably see it very well. But there's little tips on there that are not the uh, the, the orangish copper color. Those are actually silver. Oh, uh, that's one of the interesting aspects of the of the Keweenaw copper is that it has high amounts or high levels of silver also embedded in the in in the copper in many different aspects of it. And so that's an interest an important part of it. And then we also have this is a copper uh, a spearhead. Basically, also from the uh, up in the Michigan, the upper upper Michigan area, there. So I just wanted to, to show you this is part of my collection here of these things. And this other thing is a is a as a, a, a stone plumb bob. And why would people need a, a plumb bob? <laughs> What's it for? To make vertical. <laughs> yeah, to you put find, it on a string, find. you hold it, and it basically goes straight up and down. And you can now tell if walls are vertical. How important would that be if you're making walls of 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 uh, of, of you know, timbers. Timbers, yeah. And so forth. Yeah. You need to have, you don't, you don't want to have them look stupid, you know, they're kind of going off in weird ways. You have them vertical and then they are. So that's how, that's that, that's another interesting little aspect. They would need to have plumb bobs. And in this particular case, they had lead ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty awesome. All right. Um, yeah, and, and, and then let's go back to our uh, presentation. That's pretty much what we're going to be talking about as far as this. So now, a couple other things here. Uh, so where is gold? Gold obviously is important. Why is gold important? Because they had these things called gold plates. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So if you're going to make gold plates, you got to have the raw material gold. And uh, so where is gold found? Um, basically, Tennessee. We just saw that that has gold. Um, this is actually from the uh, It's the uh, Ohio Historical Connection Museum in Columbus, Ohio. Oh. And uh, this is a simulated gold nugget that was found. Uh, this is the documented occurrences of gold in Ohio, and Licking County is in the center one here. Uh, you can probably see that right there. This is called Licking County. Licking County was called Licking because of that there were salt licks that uh, were in the area, so that it brought a lot of um, um, animals and deer and so forth. There's a high concentration of, of, of animals, larger animals, and they also had all this gold. Um, this is a piece of uh, what they call float copper or native copper up in Michigan. This is a relatively, this is a big piece, several tons there, but uh, this is a tiny piece in comparison with uh, some of the copper that has been found there. Actually, this, this, these are a couple of pieces of copper. The piece that I have in this, in this little display mm. here is actually one of those pieces, the, the one on the top there. Uh, copper is typically mined, and uh, like this is Kennecott Copper Mine many years ago. Um, and it's a it's one of the the biggest holes in the earth that mankind has ever made, as far as that's concerned. It's literally removed mountains worth of material out of there, and it's and it's active even today. Um, the very first gold um, 
fields were basically in the United States were the Appalachian gold fields. And uh, they, they considered to be Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama. Um, and this is, uh, this is awesome. This is actually from an open file report by United States Geological Survey. This is the database of significant deposits of gold, silver, copper, lead, and zinc in the United States. They talked about the state of Tennessee. They're talking about these are metric tons. So the state of Tennessee has produced one metric ton of gold. That's a lot of gold. Uh, silver, 489 uh, metric tons, and copper, 704 me- metric tons. Michigan, on the other hand, had six metric tons of gold. You have 1,500 metric tons of silver, and six. This, this would actually be 6,660,000 tons of, uh, of, of copper out of Michigan. And Illinois and Pennsylvania all have gold, copper, and silver Exactly as described in the Book of Mormon. Now, it's one thing to have the gold and silver and so forth. It's another thing to show that they were actually doing something with it. Because the gold and silver uh, does exist down in Central America, but there's no evidence that they were doing anything with that gold and silver until way later, about 8900 A.D. is when they started to show up there. Well, to me as an engineer, one of the things, if you're going to if you're gonna posit a solution to a problem, then all all of the data has to fit, not just pieces of it. The entire thing has to fit for the for the solution to be true. And in this particular case, I believe that the 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 big issue uh, for Central America is that there was no metal production. When the Book of Mormon is yeah. replete with metallurgical activity, I to me that that solves the issue. Yeah, you you can't have the Book of Mormon without the metal. Exactly. So now, this this is actually from Indiana uh, Historical Society. This is uh, in front of their publications here. Uh, it talks about the occurrence of uh, raw materials in the major interaction sphere of the Hopewell people. Again, we show copper and silver and iron. 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 Now, iron is not something you just pull out of the ground. It actually has to be smelted. So this is another ac- actual interesting thing. We've got uh, evidences also of brass um, and, and, and all kinds of... And we we can go into we can't go into that too much in detail. But anyway, so we have head plates. Uh, before we go into that, I want to just go into something else here for a second. So let's jump out of there for just a second here, and I want to bring up this, which is an article that was written uh, several years ago by uh, by Daniel Johnson, and uh, and and in this article. He, uh, he talks about, this is called about metal weapons and tools. And he says, critics have often pointed to the mention of metalworking in the Book of Mormon as, as anachronistic and proof of its modern invention. While it is true that archaeology in America has not yielded up much in the way of advanced metallurgy, the topic of metals in the Book of Mormon is a complex and perhaps poorly understood one. Um, he should have said in Central America, not America. That's true. Because that is a false statement as far as North America is concerned. It well, is the, the evidence accurate though in Central America. The evidence shows quite difference. When you've got when you've got iron in the mold found in North America, in fact in Ohio, mm-hmm. they had iron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get into that and <laughs> some specific examples of this going on. But this is that this, this is interesting. This is how um uh, the, the, the Mesoamerican ideas of the Book of Mormon have had to just kind of, ugh, just kind of twist and turn and, and to try to to try to fit some kind of a round peg into a square hole here. 
but it says the widespread use of iron and steel for utilitarian and military purposes claimed by critics of the Book of Mormon is not attested by the Book of Mormon. What they're saying is that the Book of Mormon didn't really use that much metals. The practical use of metals seemed to have been limited to small groups of people and perhaps to certain time periods. Sword, spears, armor plates, and other tools do not need to be made of metal to be effective. That's not the problem. That's not the question. Whether or not they're made out of metal is is, is kind of a, a given thing. The bottom line is it said specifically the metals. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so they're trying to downplay how much metals were actually being used in the Book of Mormon here. Um, it says, still very uh, prevalent is the misconception that the ancient inhabitants of Mesoamerica had no metal tools at all, being merely a Stone Age culture. The truth that many people refuse to acknowledge is that some cultures had metal and some did not. For example, the Maya did use many stone tools, but they also used metal, though perhaps not much. <laughs> they, they, now here he says they used metal, right? But maybe not much. And he's trying to downplay the whole use of metal thing here. He says... Um, uh, he talked about among the sacrificial items thrown into the sacred cenote of Chichen Itza are axe heads and other implements of copper and bronze. What he's not telling you, though, is that Chichen Itza wasn't built until 900 A.D. <laughs> so that has absolutely zero to do with the Book of Mormon, um, as far as that's concerned. Um, then it says, notwithstanding... Uh, the popular belief that the Maya did not have metal, most museums will have small displays of copper and bronze objects in their Mesoamerican section. We were fortunate enough to have been granted a research visit to the Peabody Museum at Harvard in April of 2007. Not to look at Mayan stuff, but to look at Hopewell stuff. And uh, let me show you here really quickly. Uh, it says, during the visit, we saw handle blades and knives of various sizes and configurations of their, con of their collections in storage. Um, we also saw large copper spearheads, something we had not known before because they'd never looked into the heartland of America for their evidence. But here are bronze axe heads from the Peabody Museum. Those who still assert that the Maya had no metal implements cannot have visited many museums or read the Spanish priest stuff about blades. Again, this is all after the Book of Mormon. It says, um, let's see, Frederick, they're talking about here about the metalworking of the indigenous people. Um, let's see. The tools we examined date to the Mayan classic era, so, so so this issue is easily explained today, but even Stevens knew of accounts from Christopher Columbus and Bernal Diaz. Um, let me see. I want to get to the point here. These are some other ones from the Peabody Museum. Again, that we see here. Okay, according to current archaeological findings, the first metal items in Mesoamerica appear around 700 A.D. in western Mexico. That was 300 years after the Nephites were completely wiped out. So this does not have anything to do with the Book of Mormon here. Um, let me go back to this that last part here. Um, he's desperately trying to make this connection with Guatemala, um, but there's not, but there's there's just nothing there for that. Um, let's see. And, and again, I, I go into all this detail here in in a later um, thing here. Um, it, should, it should go without saying that mainstream archaeology does not support the Book of Mormon claims, but that is nothing new. In Central America, that's true. <laughs> there is no archaeological evidence that really supports the Book of Mormon claims in Central America at all, in almost anything. There's no archaeological evidence for advanced metallurgy during Jaredite and Nephite times. For the moment, we must assume that these groups had the ability to smelt ore and create alloys of decorative metals like gold and silver, as well as utilitarian metals like copper and iron, without sharing that technology with their neighbors. 
the Nephites were just these greedy people and they never shared that technology with anybody. And then finally, the last part of this, basically, after all the evidence, we are left to ponder the question of metals without a definitive answer yet. And actually, we do have an answer now. We do have. It's called, it's not in Central America. <laughs> it's here in North America. It does seem obvious from a careful study of the, con- of the text contrasted with Mesoamerican history that Jaredite and Nephite blacksmiths kept their secrets well guarded from their neighbors. This is to be expected of a technology that would give them an advantage in warfare. Metalworking is just one of the cultural advances mentioned in the Book of Mormon that is not found in known ancient American cultures like the Olmec and Maya from the same time period. There's some real honesty here going on, finally. And then, uh, let me see here, at the very end of this. Okay. If Book of Mormon people kept metalworking to themselves and their neighbors could do all they needed with stone and obsidian, we should not expect to find widespread evidence of advanced metallurgy in the archaeological record. This lack of evidence may be frustrating, but in our search for support for the Book of Mormon, we must carefully reassess the text itself. So if we can't find the actual evidence, then we basically question the text. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's um, one solution. <laughs> uh, and acquaint ourselves with the latest credible scholarship and not be limited by critics' demands. However, the, the regions generally accepted to be strong candidates for Book of Mormon lands, Mexico and Guatemala, have the necessary ore deposits to supply the metalworking mentioned by Jaredite and Ephraim historians. So they, the, the metals exist there. Um, in pre-Columbian artifacts of gold, silver, copper, bronze, and iron have been found and acknowledged by archaeologists. So we have support for those for most of the metals mentioned in the Book of Mormon, these are not old enough to be of Nephite origin, but they prove that ancient American metallurgy did exist, and they should give us encouragement to keep on looking. Well, they haven't found it by now. It's probably because it doesn't exist. <laughs> probably doesn't. So anyway, yeah, so, oh, it's just a, a sad thing. But but this is how this is why it hurts the church so badly when you have a a, a theory which doesn't have the capability of actually providing real evidence or support for the Book of Mormon claims. Hmm. Okay. So let's go, let's go on here. So, so let's, let's take a look at some of the actual artifacts. Here. Okay. So here you have head plates. Uh, head plates, this is clear back in, uh, in some of the earliest books here. Um, this, is the, this guy's got a head plate on. Okay. There's another head plate here. There's also a breastplate right here. You can see this this breastplate right there. Okay, and you have uh, the, more more breastplates. Basically, almost every uh, museum that has Hopewell Mound Builder stuff back in the Midwest has breastplates, and yeah. some of them have head plates too. Yeah, this breastplate is kind of a unique one because uh, it has on it uh, beads, and these beads are really interesting because those beads are made out of pearls. Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Where were they getting pearls from in the heartland of America? I mean, I thought that was something you get into the ocean. turns out that they were actually culturing freshwater pearls. And by the tens of thousands, there are single burials with 20,000 beads. And these beads have all been drilled. And pearls are hard. I, I actually bought uh, you know, pearls and, and actually tried to drill them. And you have to have titanium drill bits to get through this stuff. Well, the Book of Mormon does say they had machinery. That's right. They did. And they, and they clearly had it. This one is really interesting because people go, well, so what, so what about pearls? Well, the reason why that's interesting is because in 4th Nephi it says that there were some who were lifted up in pride, such as the wearing of costly apparel and all manner of 
fine, fine pearls. pearls. And, this, and these fine pearls just happen to be on a copper breastplate, <laughs> which are specifically mentioned in the Book of Mormon. They had copper goat horns. Uh, this is, and then this this copper uh, could be smelted, could not be smelted. There's, you see these. Um, this is also from this is from this book right here, exploring the Book of Mormon in America's Heartland. There's a whole section on metal, Book of Mormon metallurgy in here, and uh, it starts off here some of the the, the, the tools and things here. There's a, actually a, a huge piece of float copper from Michigan. That's a, that was about a, a, a about a three ton solid piece of copper, right there that they that they had brought in. This is we're going to talk about right this. We're going to talk about the smelting process here and specifically this book called Iron Age America Before Columbus. But here we have uh, some of the, uh, the, the different working going on and we're going to get into that here in just a minute. So this is on, on, uh, from this book here. Um, again, this is, these are our copper socketed arrow points and, uh, and ear spools made out of copper and, uh, and arrowheads. Those were the ear spools like she had. Yes, yes, yeah. you had those ear spools. And they were much better shaped than those. <laughs> yeah, these are, these, are, these are pretty corroded here. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, they also had, uh, because of the copper, they, they, they made them into objects, basically into you know, what they call effigies of objects. So, uh, so in, this, in this particular case, you can see uh, there's a bear or a pig effigy. There's uh, vultures. Of course, uh, vultures are mentioned specifically in the Book of Mormon. The, the vultures of the air and so forth are mentioned. Found in Ohio, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Both the vultures and these copper pieces. Yes. They show the vultures. <laughs> and, they, and they date right into Book of Mormon time frames. It's just awesome. We're, this, this, this should be so exciting for us, everybody, because this is hard evidence for the Book of Mormon. This is awesome stuff. Uh, they had knives and, uh, and, and and spearheads and so forth. Uh, I love this one specifically. Uh, this image basically is again from this book, and it shows uh, copper or excuse me, uh, gold flakes that came out of the Mallard, the, the Turner Mound group in Ohio. Uh, we have a copper amulet that was inlaid with gold. So yeah. gold and copper. Now, a lot of people say, "Well, where's all the other gold artifacts?" And so I'm going to just take a second and just address that. Let's just assume you're in the 1800s and you're plowing up a field, and all of a sudden you plow up an artifact and you pull it up and it's gold. What are you probably going to do with that? Oh, go turn it over to the uh, the local uh, university or something, and mm. uh, I'd probably be looking for a new wagon, <laughs> <laughs> another team of horses, or something. And so you take that gold and basically uh, turn, you know, and 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 sell it. Yeah. I think that's what happened to a lot of the gold, but copper wasn't as, as, as expensive, so that's why I think a lot of the copper stuff got preserved. But here we have copper, we have silver as well. By the way, on, in this in an image of the silver-plated copper bracelet on the, on the lower left-hand side, that was an interesting one. That's in the Peabody Museum, and interestingly enough, that was a copper bracelet, but it had been overlaid with silver. And it's not just an overlaying of taking silver, smashing it flat, and then wrapping it around the copper. This copper was dipped in molten silver. Ooh. Okay. Because it had a connection that you didn't get from just wrapping it around there. So that shows an, an entirely. Is that that does that show a little more sophistication in their it smelting take, capabilities? Takes some heat. <laughs> it takes some heat to do that. That's right. All right, and this is a little bit closer picture of that and that uh, copper bracelet here, and uh, then we have. Uh, that, I want I want to go into this for just a second too. 
Okay, so if we go, go back, uh, the, the, at the very top of this, you can see there's a, it's a copper scroll. It's not, that's actually been highly magnified there in the picture. I have the real one with me right here. So if we go back to this, this is the actual uh, scroll right here, and you can see that, hopefully you can see that okay. But basically, um, that, so I, want, I have a little story to tell about this. You can find the new virtual expo at bookofmormonevidencestreaming.com. We advertise 60 new videos, but actually almost double that amount. So you'll have plenty of inspiration to carry you through the fall and into the holiday season. Don't miss out on more than 110 new videos now in our library. Special guest speakers are Glenn Beck, David Barton, and Tim Ballard. You'll have access for three whole months as well as receiving two bonuses that will offset your complete subscription cost. The first is The Destruction of Christ's Death, which is a two-hour streaming video by Rod Meldrum, which is a $20 value, as well as his new 40-page ebook called Prophecies and Promises. What did Joseph know? That's a $15 value. We're excited for you to join us. 